I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town Welcome to the Devil's Junkie Podcast Season Recap Edition. I'm your host, Ralph Amston, here with DevilsDigest.com site publisher, Hodrabino. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the season that was, uh, as well as um, uh, just what some of our general takeaways are from uh, what we witnessed uh, in in what was a very, very unique uh, Arizona State football season, if you really get into the storylines, but record-wise, you know, from a, a much higher view seems like a, a mediocre showing, but I think there's a lot to get into, and I'm excited to, to go ahead and do that. How you doing, Hug? I'm doing good, Ralph, and uh, yeah, I think uh, that's the conundrum that ASU fans might find themselves today uh, after such a emotional win against U of A, which always leaves a very nice taste in your mouth. Uh, you, you, you go into recruiting with some kind of momentum. You ensured a, a winning uh, season, both overall and in Pac-12. I mean, those are things that, even for a program like Arizona State, are are, are, are milestones that should not be uh, lightly taken or even uh, taken for granted, I should say. But um, does this 7-5 and five feel different than last year? Because I, I feel that it does. I feel that the fact that Arizona State was able to win not all, but some close games... Um, and one of the stats that really jumped out at me after yesterday, and uh, just to recap, Arizona State did blank out U of A 20 to nothing in the fourth quarter. So now for the season, Arizona State on average has allowed three and a half points in the fourth quarter. Uh, that is definitely top 10 in the FBS, maybe even top five at this point, depending on what kind of results took place uh, last Saturday. But have we seen an Arizona State team this resilient, even under Todd Graham, and I don't want to turn this into a Todd Graham bashing podcast by any means, but we've seen games that way before the fourth quarter, Arizona State was, was totally out of it. And maybe more from a defensive perspective and whatnot. And this year, we're seeing a defense that has kept the offense pretty much in every game that you could deem a close game. Hermedra said after the, after the Territorial Cup, Arizona State has been in nine such games, uh, lost five, won four. So, yeah, I mean, you're batting just under 500, uh, you know, nothing to get excited about. But I don't want to come back to that resiliency term because I know it's so overused in, in, the, in the world of uh, college football. But it does feel that the 7-5, and five, just from that aspect alone, feels so, somewhat different, maybe even a lot different than last year. I think so. It's like if you're eating a, a slice of cheese pizza... <laughs> You know, if you're eating a slice of cheese pizza, you're eating a slice of cheese pizza. It doesn't matter if it's your first or your eighth, right? It's still the same slice of cheese pizza, but you feel a lot differently, you know, at the beginning of that process than at the very end. And I think that there's a lot of, uh, if at the very least, curiosity, if not excitement for, you know, what's coming. Yeah, it's seven and five, but it's at the beginning of a process. It's not seven and five at what we knew was the end when you reported that Todd Graham wasn't coming back before the kickoff in the Territorial Cup last year. We knew it was the end. And so that 7-5 and five had a much different feel to it um, because that was where the book was ending for, for Todd Graham. And so I think that you, the context surrounding it is so incredibly different 
But if you want to, you can really put brackets around anything. And if that's the way that you want to approach this and just say that each season is its own individual thing, then, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be the same record-wise. But I think that if, if you want to have a robust understanding of anything, you have to take in as much context and as much information as possible. And when you look at you know, when you look at where Todd Graham was recruiting-wise, that, that it was really starting to sputter. When you look at where um, that team was as far as just not being able to retain assistance, they might have held over the guys that they had in 2017. Uh, but what about the three sets before that that had all moved on? And, and, and so, you know, this is a situation where it's hard to imagine that if given the option um, that, that uh, you know, any of these guys would turn down the opportunity to come back next year. As far as the assistant coaches, uh, you you see so many contributors on the team that are young, whereas last year, seven and five, you looked at that and you said, oh, we're losing two very productive, you know, career-wise running backs and some good players on the defense as well. Um, and so, I, you know, there's, there's not a lot that Arizona State – is losing and maybe it even helped that they didn't use Nikhil Harry as much as they probably should have because that's less production to miss when he ultimately, you know, when he ultimately moves on and, and the the their success as a team wasn't so dependent on Manny Wilkins that you can't envision someone coming in and also running that type of ball control offense. And so there's just it's just a completely different world that these seven and fives exist in. Now, um, I don't think that there's room for uh, step back, you know, and I'm not sure that Todd Graham would have had it either in 2013. But at the same time, you know, there was such an improvement from 2011 to 2012 under Todd Graham that maybe the the grace would have been there for a six and six in 2013. You know, obviously they had double digit wins. If Herm Edwards comes out and they do that again, you know. It's going to be a situation where so much pressure is on this team for year three uh, that it's going to be it's going to be really really tough for I think for just the staff and the players and everything. Um, but I, but I think that if they if they set themselves up to at least equal what they've done this year or exceed it, uh, then you can look back on this seven and five and say it was truly a good thing. But it, I, this is the thing that you know on the on the road home from Tucson podcast that I was talking about that I just don't think. I don't think you can put this season in a box. I think you're going to really have to judge it on almost a two-and-a-half to three-year um, timeline. And so here we are at the, beginning of that, at, the, at the beginning of that timeline with some very encouraging things uh, having taken place. And the thing is, like, when you do judge Herm Edwards on the 7-5 and five record, which, again, could be 8-5 and five in, in a few weeks, do you judge it based on the preseason expectations? Because we all know it's well-documented. When Herm Edwards was officially announced as Arizona State's hire from coast to coast, it seems like a consensus among the college football experts that this is one of the worst personnel moves in the history of college football. And, I, and I, yeah. I'm not even being hyperbolic right now. I think we can all agree that it was ridiculed and shredded from each way. Pac-12 media in kind picked Arizona State to finish last in the South. Yeah. Arizona State was one conference win away from finishing first in that division. Right. When you look at the whole premise of those expectations, is it fair to label this season as a success? Or or, or is it really 
again, just looking at a pragmatic way of, you know, Todd Graham was 7-5, and five, uh, finished second in the Pac-12 South. Herm Edwards did not take this program a step back, but didn't take it a step forward. So do you look at it, A, in, in that prism, or do you also look at it in the sense of it's his, it's his first year as a head coach to judge him too harshly, even though Todd Graham was paid $10 million north, north of it maybe as a buyout. I mean, does, does that demand that Herm Edwards should have won at least eight games this year in the regular season? Should have at least won the Pac-12 South. I mean, how, I mean, how do, how do you approach it? Because I think, in some senses, that is really an unfair expectation to put on any coach, whether your name is Herm Edwards or Chip Kelly. The only thing that matters to me is the expectations of the people who are in the know or have the ability to make any type of call on what the situation is. So. Ray Anderson's expectations for Herm Edwards matter to me. Your expectations for Herm Edwards matter to me. My expectations matter to me. As far as I'm concerned, everybody else is just kind of an idiot. You know, because, because the, in, in the same way that I'm an idiot about the team that maybe they're the beat writer for. Uh, it's just, you, you can't watch everybody. You can't be around everything. And it's so easy to buy into uh, prepackaged narratives and just go with, you know, with whatever that is. But the truth is, it all depends on the situation. The person that had the closest look at everything that was going on over the last couple of years has been Ray Anderson. And so for Ray Anderson to say that, hey, what we need in here is somebody who can manage these kids, maintain the gains that we've made uh, in the classroom, be a good representative for the community, and somebody who can forge relationships with assistants that can bring us continuity and create an environment in which we can be competitively consistent we had this huge influx of donor money that helped us you know make sure that our facilities and our stadium uh, is up there with anybody else in this conference and now we have to make sure that we compete with anybody else in this conference and in order to do it we need some things that weren't getting done under the previous regime and if he set the expectation then whatever expectation he set i'm going to judge based on on that because that's an important one uh, your expectation, having been around the program for a long time and, and, and being, you know, being around every decision and inside every decision that they make, uh, and me trying to pay attention to those same things, those are the things I care about. I had them at seven and five. I don't think that your prediction was that much. Seven and five. Really. Yeah, it was that much different. And if you exist in the corporate world, and I think probably most of the people listening to this do, there is nothing to like sneeze at as far as meeting expectations. Meeting expectations is what you get paid to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that the fair expectation based on the people in the know was that they would have a slightly above average year and they had a slightly above average year. And, uh, and I mean, and that's that to exceed expectations is fantastic, but to meet expectations is to do your job. And I don't think that I don't think that you should do yourself the disservice of having unrealistic expectations. I think you should, you uh, you know this isn't to tell people that they shouldn't have opinions, but I think you should let people who are in the know ultimately have the authority to to let you know what your expectations should be in in some way, shape, or form. We had a conversation with somebody on Twitter today who said, you know, I, I said that Manny Wilkins had a decent. Uh, run at being the quarterback at Arizona State and he said hey if he didn't win a Rose Bowl and I'm like well that hadn't happened in like 30 years and so <laughs> if that's the baseline expectation yeah. if that's the bare minimum 
then this has been a really bad run for a very long time for everybody that's been in this position. So I think that you should let the people who understand the context of the situation set the expectations for you. And then I think you can really anchor down there. Had ASU come out and they were five and seven this year, based on me saying they'd be seven and five, you saying they were seven and five, any other you know media pundit out there who's actually close to the program setting a, 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 an expectation that seemed to have a lot of commonality with, with what the consensus was for people who are near the program, great. But as far as somebody saying, you know, oh, Herm Edwards from the TV, they're going to be in last place, and that person covers Washington State and uh, – and, and hasn't seen an Arizona State game because maybe they have direct TV or something. <laughs> but, like, uh, those, aren't, those are not opinions. The, the value of those, even though these people are professionals and they cover their teams and maybe do it well, um, they have as much authority into the situation and, and maybe less. They actually maybe a lot less than even the fans who watch and who even maybe attach hope to uh, and optimism to, you know, whatever it is that they're projecting. So... I feel like he met expectations in the corporate world. That's, you know, kick your feet up on the weekend. I did my job. Give me my two and a half percent, you know, merit based market <laughs> raise at the, you know, uh, and I think that um, then at that point, you know, it, Herm Edwards came out and he said, I don't want to be in this bowl. I don't want to be seven or five. I don't want to be in nine one score games. Um, so now he's out there setting expectations for himself. It is always fair to go with what expectations somebody sets for themselves. Mm -hmm. It is always fair to go with what the expectations are that someone's boss sets for them. Um, but as far as just the national media and, and the way that they set Arizona State up um, to be a laughing stock, maybe that does Ray Anderson a favor if he's super invested in making sure that he doesn't have egg on his face about this hire. But ultimately, it just makes them look dumb. Like, it, this is two years in a row that, that if you gather enough evidence, people should say, why should we listen to you? It was absurd to put USC first. It was absurd to put ASU last. And, the, you know, the people that actually do a fair amount of paying attention to what, you know, to, to, to what was going on, especially with USC or with, with ASU being last, with dead last after finishing second last year and returning so many people, um... You know, I, I think that you get to a point where you say, all right, we're not going to take those guys seriously anymore. These projections are dumb. And I think ASU's players had already reached that point after what happened last year. Uh, and and I, so, you know, expectations. Let the coach, let the AD, let the beat writers you trust set those expectations. And then you just kick back and you hold them to it. And I wouldn't worry too much about anything else. Yeah, look, I mean, full, full admission over here, yes, because I've been a beat writer of this team for 18 years because I know the program so well. That's why I picked them seven and five. And it, and it doesn't mean I was looking at this team in rose-colored glasses. I was looking at one of the best quarterback-wide receiver combinations in the Pac-12 in Manny Wilkins and Nikhil Harry. I was looking at a running back like Nino uh, you know, Benjamin that showed enough flashes last year to, to get excited about. I saw an offensive line that did have a lot of talent and added somebody like Casey Tucker, a transfer from Stanford. I saw complimentary wide receivers such as Kyle Williams, who had, who had a great season last year. Took a little step back this season. We can talk about that a little later. But still, the, the talent, at least preseason-wise, was there. Frank Darby, again, a player that showed flashes. Then you, look, then you go to the other side of the ball. Kobe Williams and Chase Lucas, you can sit here with a straight face and say they're one of the better cornerback tandems in the Pac-12. I don't think that's, that's being uh, an overreach or, or anything like that. 
Now, yes, we thought um, J.J. Wilson would build on a great uh, junior season and be a star linebacker for this team. For one reason or another, that, that, that never happened. We always knew that Rennell Wren could be an X-factor up, up, up on the defensive line. Didn't exactly happen. I think uh, just one more player that you can point to uh, 2018 as being a bag of mixed goods for. But, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is that when I made my expectations that they're going to be seven and five, and yes, I picked them fourth in the Pac-12 South. I'll you know full disclosure there too. So, and that uh, that prediction did come short. But again, I was looking at talent returning. I was looking at what Danny Gonzalez did at San Diego State and what he did to Arizona State and 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 Stanford last year. Uh, with with that with that three three five defense, which I think was definitely a catalyst to a lot of success that Arizona State had, those are the factors I was looking at. I wasn't so concerned about, oh, it's Herm Edwards, the head coach. Okay, great. You know, so you're not a Herm Edwards fan, or you just don't think that somebody nine years out of coaching should uh, be able to have any measure of success, especially in his first year. Okay, fine, fair point. But look at the assistance that he had around him, and more importantly, look at the talent that he has. I think that at some point you have enough talent that it's pretty hard to screw up a good thing. And again, I'm not saying 7-5, and five, you know, throw a parade on Mill Avenue uh, because of this accomplishment. Not, not at all, but I just feel that pundits to come out and say that Ace is going to win three games in 2018, I, I mean, to say it was overly harsh would be a gross understatement. I just never, never saw that, and I just... And I just didn't understand. I mean, and and, and these are some of the guys. And I'm I'm not saying for you to go out and say like, oh, Feldman's a joke or Wilner's a joke. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, th- these are guys who actually put a lot of work into what they do, and it felt like they just bought into the idea that somebody would completely forget how to coach uh, football. It's just. It's strange, especially I mean, somebody who did coach in the NFL, right and. And while it is a completely different game, and I have and I had and still have many concerns about the adjustment to uh, coaching collegiately for anyone who's in the NFL, regardless of their age, um, regardless of you know where they're at in any stage of of, of their life, because you look at Herm Edwards, uh, advanced in years, um, but as far as as far as like where he's at in in his life, you know, having two young kids. Um, you know, his kids aren't that much older than mine. He's going through things that I'm going through right now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe he's a little young and maybe he's a little old at the same time. He's new to the game and he's been in the game longer than anybody else. There's a million different adjustments that you have to think about, you know, for him to make. So I had some worries. I still have some worries when it comes to the impact that he's going to be able to have. But when it comes to just coaching football, you think that somebody really coaches in the end? And, and I, I, this is another thing that I'll never understand is that if you fire somebody, if somebody gets fired or somebody has a bad season, um, the, you just remember the last thing that happened. You don't remember what it took to get them to the point where they actually got that job in the first place mm-hmm. or where they got another job. Uh, you don't remember the successes. You know, a lot of people remember that you play to win the game um, video, but they don't remember that Herm went 7-2 and two in the following nine games, took his team to the playoffs. Yeah. You know, you, do, you, you basically get credit for your last thing, whatever that was. And for Herm Edwards, that was to have every quarterback in the world have every devastating injury possible and ultimately flame out uh, in the NFL. Um, but a lot of it just depends on the situation that you're in. Pete Carroll's name gets thrown up uh, and out there a lot. 
Um, and that's not to compare Herm Edwards to Pete Carroll, but just to say sometimes it's about the right situation. Mm-hmm. When Pete Carroll found the right situation and he was able to bring what he brings to the table, USC had a lot of success. And he was USC's fourth choice. People forget that, too. Right, and now he's got a Super Bowl, too. Yeah. He's got a Super Bowl in the NFL, the same NFL that chewed him up mm-hmm. and spit him out. And again, this isn't about comparisons. just just about finding the right fit for the right situation. Uh, Bill Belichick. New England was the right fit in the right situation. It wasn't the Cleveland Browns. People forget <laughs> that he was fired. Yeah. You know, but if you get hung up on what the last thing is to, to, to happen, somebody, you forget a lot about what they've accomplished. Somebody like Todd Graham's probably in that place right now. Where people are going to, you know, look at the fact that Ray Anderson fired him and not look at the fact that he completely revolutionized the reputation of Arizona State for people who are in the know. They're able to get some of the kids that they are now simply because they're not known as a place that you just go to party anymore. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. um, when, you, when, you do things, uh, when you do things the right way, the right people notice, you might get a second opportunity, and that opportunity might be the best thing for you. Okay, so uh, let's uh, talk about the Arizona State um, offense. Uh, Herm Edwards said that he expected this team to be offensive-driven. And I think that uh, it was somewhat an unpleasant surprise to see the offense sputter as much as it did. And again, we, we talked earlier in this podcast. Manny Wilkins, Nikhil Harry, you know Benjamin, Frank Darby, Kyle Williams, an experienced, experienced offensive line. Uh, is it fair to say that it was an unpleasant surprise to some extent? I mean, again, when you're 7-5, and five, the offense isn't you know, a piece of garbage. But do you feel a sense of, wow, this offense could have been much better in 2018? Yes, uh, I feel I feel like they could have been better. I think that you have a, a lot of the staff trying to gel. I think that you have um, you have some identity issues. I think that you know Herm Edwards has in his head what he wants Arizona State's offense to look like, and I think he's mentioned Stanford enough that it seems like that's what he had pictured all along when he's got a guy with an air raid background that's responsible for that's responsible for calling the plays he's got a guy who helped innovate the the introduction of the first real successful spread offense in Dave Christensen mm-hmm. who is helping you know coordinate the the run game and run the offensive line you know you've got you you've got John Simon who was part of uh, you know, several different offensive coordinators being there now to pull from. It's a really strange mix of coaches. You know, you got Charlie Fisher, who was a head coach mm-hmm. last year and might have his own way of really doing things that is now really only responsible for wide receivers. And so when I look at this, when I look at this staff, I see that, you know, it's just really just a bunch of ingredients that, um, you you know, some you don't get the Herm Edwards comments like you did with Todd Graham all the time. Oh, he's supposed to be a defensive coach. You mm-hmm. know, Herm Edwards has long sort of relied on his assistants to do those sorts of things. But he people forget that Herm Edwards was also the first NFL coach to try to introduce the spread mm-hmm. in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that Herm Edwards did at, at the NFL level was really hampered by the fact that he couldn't keep quarterbacks healthy. Um, and he and one thing that was a hallmark of Herm Edwards when he was in the NFL was they would adjust to whatever they needed to. I think there was a year where they gave Larry Johnson four hundred more than four hundred carries, <laughs> just because they were just trying to get through the day, right? And so, 
you know, I think that there were some things this season that Herm Edwards saw that he said, if I'm going to have control over anything, it's going to be this, and then you have to work around that. So in the San Diego State game, when Arizona State was getting blown off the ball, I think that football man Herm Edwards said, you know, you don't get blown off the ball and win games. So I think that his focus then became, how do we dominate the line of scrimmage? And the answer to that question was H-back, fullback, you know, more Tommy Hudson. Mm. Um, Nick Ralston. Exactly. And, more, more Nick, and, and adding, you know, switching Nick Ralston's sides of the ball and moving Casey Tucker to the inside. Um, and you could sort of see the wheels spinning. The one thing that was evident from the get-go is that they weren't going to rely on Manny Wilkins to try to win games. The only problem is they continually put themselves in situations where they had to rely on Manny Wilkins to try <laughs> to win games, right? So um, I don't, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure if it was an unpleasant surprise. I think that, that if you really think back at just how much change happened, it was going to be difficult for Arizona State to thrive um, to thrive offensively with with that many voices, that many cooks in the kitchen, and everybody sort of attempting to to make their own way and pull their own weight, um, and then Manny Wilkins also being in a situation where he had a lot of authority as well, and people might not necessarily be mentioning that, but Manny Wilkins had a lot of authority in this offense, and he might not have always really been making the right call, and he's limited in what he has the ability to do. He protects the football, which is fantastic, especially for this offense. Um, he he can get out on the run, which can extend drives, but he's also not somebody who, A, looks to run, B, has great field sense when he is out on the run, often tries to leap over people instead of looking for ways to get around them, or he'll try to truck a defender. Mm. Um and he's also not somebody who throws the ball when he's on the move, mm. ever. Yeah. And so, um, you know, they, they were limited in that area. So unless you're, you're going to throw the ball a lot and you're going to give him a big pocket and you're not going to have the extra blockers that it takes to give him that pocket, so you have more receivers out there running different varied routes at different levels, it's not going to look like what they did under Mike Norvell. It's definitely not going to look like what they did under Chip Lindsey. Um, and then as far as running the ball, you have a completely different running back with a completely different style, and then you had some serious disappointment behind that running back. So when Eno Benjamin would run out of juice in the second half, they'd often have to move to different things. The, the whole thing about this offense to me is that you could see every adjustment that they were making, everything they tinkered with, and you knew at least they weren't being stagnant. They were learning things. They were figuring things out as they went all year long. The problem for this offense is it felt like a lot of the things that they had to make adjustments on in the game were common sense things, like feeding Nikhil Harry the ball. The fact that that became a topic of conversation eight different times, infuriating, right? If you're, if you're a fan and you're watching, a lot of people were pulling their hair out this year. And, and were probably disappointed based on their expectations. Um, my expectations were not that they would set the world on fire offensively, but it certainly wasn't that they would, that they would be figuring life out in the fourth quarter of every single one of these games um, after struggling to do so all game long. So a lot to be said for in-game adjustment, a lot to be said for the way that they communicated with each other and figured things out. But a recurring theme of this coaching staff is that the holes they get out of are ones they dug themselves. Yeah, and I think almost that uh, last drive against Michigan State, which was executed to perfection, 
I almost kind of feel it was kind of a curse because it was funny how, how uh, Rob Likens, and I give him credit for being so transparent, was almost uh, egging, if, if that's the right term, Herm Edwards to, okay, we, we, we need a big touchdown, we need a big pass play, we need to score over here and just lay the hammer on Michigan State. And Herbert just says no. And granted, this is a lot of his NFL experience speaking, like, let's run the ball, let's bleed the clock, we have a very good field goal kicker, and he's going to win the game with with zeros showing on the clock. And I think that after that, you kind of wonder, did Rob Likens maybe take a step back a little, for lack of a better term, and said, okay, you know what, maybe Herm Edwards' uh, approach does work. Problem is, when you put a lot of emphasis on the running game and not being really that explosive in the air, and now you're facing San Diego State, a very, very formidable defense against the run, which ASU, unfortunately for them, found out. Uh, then it was like, hmm, now we have to go back to our original plan and maybe just almost trash the game plan we had going into San Diego State and try something different. So like you said, I mean, the adjustments were really apparent, but wasn't the whole point of keeping the staff pretty much intact on offense from last year to this year is not to rock the boat because you had proven players like Manny Wilkins and Nikhil Harry and Frank Darby and, and so on and so forth to really do do what you do best and, and, and do do what brought you here instead of just doing everything different. I just feel like there's a constant clash of what Rob Likens wanted to do and what Herb Edwards wanted to do. And like and like I said, to his credit, Herb Edwards is not just now it wasn't like Todd Graham and saying, I'm a defensive coach, I'll leave it to my offensive coordinator to run the offense and I'm pretty much uh, butting out of it. Which a lot of people will say that was a downfall of this program starting 2015 where Mark Novell went totally off the reservation and uh, Todd Graham rarely uh, held him in check. But not to go off on tangent, I mean, do you feel there was some kind of clash in offensive philosophy of what Rob Likens wanted to do, what Herbert Edwards wanted to do, and, and that's why you have a 7-5 and five and not a 9-3 and three record, for example? I just think that there was a, there were a lot of people speaking into a situation, especially a situation where Rob Likens is in this position because Billy Napier chose to leave and they wanted some level of continuity. They did not go in and find the best offensive coordinator for the job this year. They promoted so that they wouldn't have to go and find the best uh, offensive coordinator for the job. And then, I mean, you find out little things as, as the year goes on. You know, uh, Manny Wilkins, this morning, he tweets out that uh, screenshot of the text message to prove that he told Rob Likens, all I want to do is win by one, you know, which is an incredible thing. But the thing that he didn't crop out of that text message is that Rob Likens was like, hey, you let me know what you're comfortable with, and that's what we'll call. And so, you know, you, you see that Manny Wilkins, a fifth-year quarterback, um, was depended upon quite a bit to get the feel for the game and then and, and make a lot of calls himself. And he was responsible for some of their biggest plays. All of the heat that Manny felt this year, all the blame that he felt, all the success, everything that he, he had on his shoulders, the reason he felt like he had so much on his shoulders is because he actually had a lot of mm-hmm. res- responsibility. And so, you know, I think that, I think that Herm Edwards brings a perspective uh, and, and level of experience, even though he'd been out of the game for like nine years, um, that Rob Likens, in his one year of being an offensive coordinator at Kansas, in his one year of having this level of responsibility, didn't necessarily have. Rob Likens is working on a staff with several head coaches. Mm-hmm. 
Fisher was a head coach. Fisher has been a level above where Rob Likens ever was. Mm -hmm. Dave Christensen has been not only a head coach, but he was an offensive coordinator at Utah. He was an offensive coordinator at Missouri. Mm -hmm. You know, Rob Likens is the one of the least experienced guys on the entire offensive staff. Mm -hmm. And they also have analysts and people speaking to the situation who used to run you know, different aspects of, of, of Arizona State football. And so he's really the new guy on the block. And I, it's unfair to say lucked into the situation, but fortune fell on him in a way that wasn't, hey, it's based on the merit of what you've been able to do. So I think the fact that you had uh, any type of cla uh, the cla what, what looked like a clash might have ultimately essentially been a learning curve. You know, you had a lot of people in the car who have all driven before, but the guy in the driver's seat hadn't. And they're going to have to kind of speak into that situation as as time goes on. When you look at Manny Wilkins's numbers, and, and I know it might be a little unfair to uh, compare 2017 to 18 because uh, Manny Wilkins to date only played 12 games. He still has a ball game to play in. So the 2017 uh, numbers do include uh, 13 games rather than 12. But you look at the number of uh, touchdowns, Pretty comparable. 2017, uh, Manny Wilkins had 20. Right now, he has uh, 19. So yeah, he has a you know fair chance to uh, to eclipse that number uh, total yards. Last year, he had uh, 3,270. This year, he has 2,896. Again, you know decent chance uh, to to match those numbers. Interceptions went down from eight from eight to four. So I, I think you see some um, you know some improvement um, over there. But but overall. Um, I know it's really overstating the obvious, I feel, that Manny Wilkins has a com complex legacy. And one thing I think is fair to say, that the jump that you perhaps expected from a junior to a senior, let alone a fifth-year senior with Manny Wilkins, didn't exactly happen. And then it may be, maybe that's being, you know, a little, uh, you know, too kind in that assessment, but... Do you also feel that, again, with all the complex complexities you just talked about, with offensive coordinator, with the offensive staff and everything, is it also a sense of disappointment that Manny Wilkins didn't take that extra extra jump, especially when you have a stud wide receiver like Nikhil Harry at your disposal every Saturday? I would think that that you would be more disappointed in Manny Wilkins if he was this immensely talented player who didn't take a step forward. Uh, but he's a marginally talented Pac-12 quarterback who got everything that he got and achieved everything that he achieved through hard work and focus and putting time in. And so, you know, you, you have a guy, you know, you, you have people who are prodigies and uh, and when they don't perform, it's it's quite a disappointment. You have guys like Khalil Tate who can create space better than anybody I've ever seen um, in the pocket who has an absolutely incredible arm and he's still figuring out how to use it, who has proven that as a runner might be the most dangerous quarterback college football has ever seen, even though they don't use him like that. Um, Manny Wilkins has none of that. He's, he's not um, naturally gifted in making multiple reads. He throws a good ball, not a great ball. Um, he's fast, but he's not faster than anybody who's going to be chasing him you know he's he's tough but he hasn't been able to always escape um the injury bug he 
so what he has done is try to master what he can master, and you've seen him cut down on bad plays. And what you're not seeing is an increase in good plays because I think the increase in good plays would have to come from a place of of essentially like natural giftedness. So I think I think that Manny Wilkins has really worked very hard to maximize what he's capable of. And I think that you have to hold him to the standard of what you believe he was actually capable of accomplishing. And I don't know if he could have done much more than what he did. You know, with the complaints that they that the there are complaints. I look at Manny Wilkins the same way that I look at Chase Lucas. There are complaints about Manny Wilkins missing on deep balls because Arizona State doesn't go deep very often. Mm. Just like there are complaints about Chase Lucas giving up big plays because Arizona State doesn't give up big plays anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the only ones you remember are the ones that he gives up, even though he gives up far less than anyone who's played that position in the last six years at, at Arizona State. So, you know, I, I think that uh, Manny Wilkins has not been Khalil Tate. He has not been, you know, he... he if you look at pure talent, you're going to go probably with with Burko. You know, you, you if you look at uh, um, the way that they used their weapons and the grasp that they had on the situation and just the maturity that they came in with. Again, Manny Wilkins had to develop his own maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd go with Taylor Kelly. You know, it's it, it just on talent and ability alone. You might pick. You might pick former Arizona State quarterbacks that are still playing college football that aren't even on the roster anymore over Manny Wilkins. But he was still able to accomplish everything that he accomplished despite all that. And I and so for that reason alone, I, I, I'm i not necessarily disappointed in the year that he had. You know, before we talk about the obvious pieces you want to talk about in offense, Nikhil Harry and, uh, you know, Benjamin, I, I got to touch on Kyle Williams because I think, and I think it's also an issue that you brought up throughout the year that the regression from sophomore to junior year, and, and, and again, was the regression just simply just on stats or maybe just on scheme that didn't fit him? It's really staggering. I mean, take a look at this numbers. And again, I know we're talking about 13 games last year versus 12 so far this year, but <laughs> 432 yards receiving this year. Not a horrible number for Kyle Williams until you look at last year when he had 763. Touchdowns this year, one. Yeah, that's a low number. And it's really scaringly low when you figure he had seven touchdowns in in 2017. I mean, again, before we talk about the more obvious playmakers on this team, we expected a lot from Kyle Williams this year. What happened, in your opinion, for Kyle Williams to take such a major step back? Was it really just Rob Likens not being able to figure out or your long what exactly Kyle Williams' role was? I mean, were there other factors in play? I'm not sure that this offense, <laughs> this sounds weird, but I'm not sure that this offense really has room for the, like, the quick twitch athlete that so many other colleges are, you know, mm-hmm. that the West Virginians are out there making use for. Because, you know, you, you look at guys like Isaiah Floyd and Traylon Smith and Kyle Williams and, and say, Based on their ability, there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to get out in space and contribute. Um, and then you you know you look at Kyle Williams' past production and you say, oh well, if we're going to be able to depend on that, then you know, fantastic. If that's the baseline and we're moving on from there, great. Um, you know, a lot of these athletes are really really great at working in space, so this offense doesn't really create a lot of space. So you got an offense that doesn't create for people to work in space. 
Um, and it's also not an offense that really does a good job of getting people the ball and allowing them to create on their own, which is a huge complaint of not really using Nikhil Harry very much. And so um, it's also not an offense that hits very many receivers in the process of their route. Mm-hmm. You're usually just getting guys on the sideline or, you know, stopping at the end of their hitch or, you know, going up and getting a ball. Um, there's not a lot of timing mm-hmm. in this offense. And mm-hmm. Kyle Williams is one of those guys, as, as well as Ryan Newsom, who I feel like are timing-based players. And, and Isaiah Floyd and Traylon Smith were guys that I felt like were get them out in space and, and let them go type players. Well, this offense didn't have those type of opportunities, which is one of the reasons why it's wild to think that this is a 7-5 and five team when when they were they were basically running a you know for people to play video games you know you got the two or three plays you like that's what this offense was you know it was it was very very simplistic uh even in the adjustments that they made it was just really about you know making sure that you get a push at the line of scrimmage um and and seeing if you could get uh you know benjamin a few yards and then see what he can create from there imagine if Eno benjamin wasn't uh as naturally gifted as he was at the second level you know, this would just be a team that moved the ball quite a bit but didn't really have any breakaway plays in the passing game or the running game. And so um, I I just don't know if – I don't know if Kyle Williams is going to be able to get back to his uh, form as a sophomore within the confines of this offense that plays everything within such a tight, enclosed space. There's not room for him to go out and make a play. He's either going to have to catch the ball with a guy draped all over him the way he was not able to at Oregon, um, or you know, just be a possession receiver like he was this year. Jalen Harvey, I felt, definitely did a good job at, at safety this year, and he was Mr. First Down last year. I'll answer my own question. Was Jalen Harvey missing this offense? I would say absolutely yes. And, and also, this is a, would have been a better offense for him, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's a lot missing from this offense. They, did, they didn't have the ability to get people out in space, didn't have the ability to hit receivers in their routes, didn't use the tight end, didn't use their quick change of pace backs. Um, they really lived and died by what Eno Benjamin gave them. And while they did go – they did – make an effort to get Nikhil Harry the ball, even in the games where Nikhil Harry had a lot of touches, they would come out after the game and say, well, we really put in a lot of effort to get Nikhil Harry the ball today. And it just, it just, it would hit my ears so strange. It would be like, oh, you know, I drove down to work and I picked up my paycheck. Sure, I'm tired. But, you know, you, you, you got to have money to live. So people said that I had to go get my paycheck. So I went and got my paycheck. Hope everybody's ready to pat me on the back now. Like, no, that's what you do. That's the money that you worked for. So go and get your money. Like, it's not a huge deal. You shouldn't have to tell people about it. People shouldn't have to remind you to go get your money. And that's the way I always felt about the whole thing with Nikhil Harry is even when they did get him the ball after the game, they're talking about, like, well, we did it, guys. We did it. Like, who? Duh. (laughs) That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and and you you talk about Nikhil Harry. So let's, again, compare numbers from last year to this year. So uh, through 12 games this year, uh, 1,088 yards, um, only nine touchdowns. Last year, um, 1,142 yards and eight touchdowns. So slight uh, improvement uh, in, in the touchdown department, yards-wise. Uh, definitely has a good chance to to match that, maybe even eclipse a little. 
what are your feelings about Nikhil Harry uh, in his obviously last year at Arizona State? I think that he did some absolutely jaw-dropping things. Um, he showed uh, that there there might be some holes in uh, in his game, and he also showed that if you're not going to keep him involved, he starts to have some mental lapses. Um, his sure-handedness kind of goes down. Um, and, uh, it, I mean, now we have to start looking, and this is the thing that I absolutely dread, is now we have to start looking at Nikhil Harry the same way all these NFL draft you know, pundits will. Mm-hmm. And that's infuriating because you just want to protect. Like what I went through this with, I'm a huge Josh Allen fan, <laughs> and I went through this last year, you know, watching the guy who helped bring Wyoming to new heights. They're just picking him apart. And I'm like, no, it was just fun to have him be a college football player and to see him do positive things. And now everybody's talking about every single thing he does wrong. And, you know, and, and so that's the position that we're at. We got to turn our attention to the things that Nikhil Harry did wrong because now it's time to break down all, all, all of that and you know yeah there were some holes in what he was able to do he's also just incredibly physically gifted totally sold out for the game loves to be on the field loves wearing pads um he took some just monstrous hits this year and got right back up you know even in that colorado game when he <laughs> probably should have been on the sideline the whole time yeah. you know he he was grabbing his helmet, walking back into the game, uh, even even if to be a decoy, you know. I, I was impressed with his toughness. I was impressed with his resolve. I have seen him mature, and I think that you can agree um, that he is definitely becoming uh, a respectable young man. Not that he wasn't before, but he had a ways to go, and, he, and you can see the progress. Um, Production-wise, I mean... Yeah, you can't give what you don't have, and um, you know he doesn't throw himself the ball. And I, and then the weird thing is, he's the kind of guy that if he was in charge of the offense, he would just do whatever's best anyway. <laughs> so never once complained. Yeah. You know, I you in the early part of the season, you could see it in his body language a little bit, and that was probably the biggest point of him maturing for me was that those issues didn't didn't stop of him not being as involved in the game as he should have been, his body language improved quite a bit. Quite a bit. As did, as did it felt like Manny Wilkins' on-field relationship uh, with whether it was him or Frank Darby, you know, or whoever, you know, they were having issues making connections on any given day. Early in the season, it definitely looked like some of their frustration would be out on their sleeve. And late in the season, it was just a matter of, all right, well, it's next play. And maybe that's a credit to Herm Edwards, you know, but then again, also the fact that they were in a situation where they would have to swallow their pride is maybe a discredit to Herm Edwards. It's just, uh, it's just a repeated chicken and the egg situation. So uh, when we talk about the running game, um, obviously there's no uh, sense of uh, comparing, you know, Benjamin's last year's stats to this year's stats. Uh, I mean, absolutely jaw dropping numbers uh, from the sophomore uh, 1,524 yards, Net, net rushing 15 touchdowns, averaging 127 yards a game. Again, we talked earlier in the podcast, you and I being close to the program, we knew that this guy would be a special running back. But uh, this is turning into being an historic uh, running back, uh, very, very close to breaking Arizona State's uh, all-time uh, the, the rushing record. Uh, has he been? Really, you think that much of a surprise, or maybe again going back to the Herm Edwards style of offense? Hey, you're gonna have a workhorse, and if that workhorse is talented enough, 
they're going to get so many carries that it's yeah. almost impossible not to have jaw-dropping numbers. He is very talented. Um, he does something that uh, that helps his his cause, and that is he doesn't help you tackle him. There's there I've never very maybe very rarely maybe if we're really picky and we go over every single carry he's had this year, he rarely does things that help the defender get a better angle on him. He rarely does things that help the defender get any extra time to get to where he's at. He's very much all business, but he's super talented at the same time. Um, he's very good at, at being elusive and also not taking the brunt of hits and knowing when to execute his spin move. He always falls forward. Um, Demario Richard would invite contact, and Kalen Balage would wilt uh, at, the, mm. at the prospect of contact that would happen in any direction other than right in front of him. If mm. you were in front of him, he'd run you over. If you were coming at him from the side, you know, he was a paper tiger. And so, um, you know, the difference between Demario Richard and Kalen Balage and Eno Benjamin is that Eno Benjamin's not doing anybody any favors. Demario would do you a favor by lowering his shoulder and running into you. Because if he goes down, you did your job, even if it hurt you. Mm. Um, Eno's not going to do that. You're, he doesn't want you to square him up. He's not going to, unless it's in the end zone after he scored, he's <laughs> not going to seek you out and, and, and put his body on yours. Um, and then he doesn't give you very many opportunities to get to him behind the line of scrimmage because of his, his vision and, and things like that. So he gives Arizona State something that they lacked in their two-headed, a talented two-headed rushing attack over the last three, four years. Um, but he also brings his own flavor and his own style to it. And uh, and I think he really maximized it because you're still looking at a guy who had probably four subpar games mm-hmm. and he rushed for over 1,500 yards. That's incredible. I mean, this is a guy, this is a guy who if, if they had figured life out you know, um, and maybe had the ability to have a little bit more of a balance in the passing game when he was getting shut down to open up running lanes for him. This is a guy that could have had 2,000 yards. And that's crazy. But you sh- in 12 games, you know, and, and, and the thing about the Pac-12 is there are not a lot of great tacklers. A lot of very good athletes in the Pac-12, but a lot of them weren't always solely defenders. It was you take the athletes that you get out on the west side and you put them where you think you can mm-hmm. develop them. And in the time that those athletes spend developing – they're going to have to try to tackle some talented players. They don't always make those tackles, and he's not he's just not giving anybody any help to get him to the ground, and that, that's shown. Okay, now uh, let's move to the uh, defensive side um, off the ball, and as we touched earlier, uh, Danny Gonzalez uh, at San Diego State last year, Arizona State uh, felt, felt this wrath, uh, so did Stanford uh, the, for, for that matter. Uh, definitely, I think, a savvy hire uh, by Arizona State. Uh, hire was really... Uh, uh, driven uh, quite a bit by Gene Boyd, uh, the associate athletic director, um, who is more involved in football operations uh, this year. And uh, I think that um, Herm Edwards actually played for San Diego State uh, back in the day, uh, was very familiar with the Aztecs program, uh, liked what he saw from that defensive system. Um, very ironic that uh, some people tried to minimize the impact of that hire because Danny Gonzalez was defensive coordinator by name, if you will, just because the head coach, uh, Rocky Long, uh, was uh, calling the plays on Saturdays. Danny Gonzalez obviously was very involved in the game planning um, week week by week, so I think it's unfair to minimize the role that, that he had uh, with the great success of, of that Aztecs defense. But, um, yeah, it's funny, again, going back to the uh, 
experience level of the coaching staff on offense so much experience level uh coming back uh from last year a lot of experienced players coming back from last year and still it struggled and still left you with a taste of wow i mean that there is a sense of underachievement defense um you were maybe even a little scared you just really didn't know uh, what to expect yes phil bennett did improve this defense in 2017 uh, anybody would be uh, I think uh, disingenuous not not to mention that we just weren't sure if it was going to able to take that next step that fans wanted to see from 2017 to 2018 just because of all the newness of the staff the newness of the 335 scheme and the so many question marks that existed with young and inexperienced players uh, I just don't feel and I'm, I've been saying this for weeks now there's no way you can overstate the impact that Adam Gonzalez had in this ASU defense in year one. And to say the future is bright, uh, you know, that that may be really underselling uh, the trajectory of this uh, side of the ball right now for the Sun Devils. Yeah, I mean, not only not only that, and they, they do have a lot of brand new players on the defensive side of the ball that are playing really well, but he wants a lot more. And he wants to recruit the hell out of, out of his own guys and show what he can do. I, I don't think he's satisfied with where they're at at all. If, if you're taking a historical Arizona State fan context to what happened defensively this year, you're incredibly pleased. Um, individually, he is not. He, he's, he's not satisfied at all um, with, with how this year went. He needs some of the players that were on the field this year to mature. He needs to get some more guys in that, that are going to understand the role that they have when they came in. I tell you what I keep thinking about. Uh, I, I think Christian Sam probably made the right move to move on to the NFL, but JoJo Wicker made such a huge mistake not mm. trying to give this 3-3-5 defense a shot because it really is a defense in which hybrid defensive linemen, um, you know, guys that could guys that could play, uh, you know, and an and an interior, yeah, and and interior are gonna thrive. You mm. know, going out and getting a guy like Anthony Cooper, who is you know might might not have the athletic ability that JoJo Wicker had, but has the same size, same defensive tendencies. You know, Jermaine Lolay being on the end, even though he's a guy that could probably, if you needed him to, be an undersized inside guy the way that Deshaun Smallwood was. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Smallwood is a guy who would, oh, who yeah. would thrive uh, playing an end position in yep. in this defense. You know, the the guys that didn't the guys that didn't have the right size but had the heart uh, under Todd Graham, under Keith Patterson, and 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 under Phil Bennett. Those are the guys that absolutely would have gone off in this three-three-five, and so you know. Whereas, I, again, I, I do believe that Christian Sam made the right choice to move on. I don't think he would have had a very good time in this defense, and ultimately would have would have hurt him uh, moving on. He's definitely, a, I think, a classical four-three linebacker. But with the way that this three-three-five is set up, I mean, guys like guys like JoJo Wicker really could have had a huge year because he wasn't here. Those traditional defensive ends like Jalen Bates and and Doug Sutiler. They made no impact, mm-hmm. and so that's why you have Jermaine Lolay on the outside. You had George Lee moving to the, moving to the outside, and and I, I think the you know the more of these high energy hybrids that they get on this defensive line, you're going to see even more havoc created, and at the same time you're going to see these linebackers continue to mature. I mean Kyle Soley and Tyler Johnson's third year in the program is next year, and that's, mm-hmm. that's going to be a really really big deal as far as just their overall athletic ability and their football sense, and then. When you add what Merlin Robertson is capable of, and Darian Butler, and Darian Butler, yeah. um, who Darian Butler reminds you of like the old school, like Ronald McKinnon, uh, you know the guys who are around six foot, but just 
or even Dale Robinson, they, they go get the ball, right? They go get the ball, but he's even, I think, quicker than some of those guys who were maybe weren't as athletic. They just had really good football sense. And then you've seen a lot more discipline from the defensive backs. They let a lot less people behind them, um, and they, they play on an island a lot better than some of the previous uh, defensive backs that have held those starting roles for Arizona State. So, I mean... Yeah, it's pretty impossible to understate the job that uh, that Danny Gonzalez has done this year, but the one person who will try and do it is Danny Gonzalez because he's definitely not satisfied. Yeah, and absolutely. You look at the numbers from uh, 2017 uh, to, to, to 2018, again, keeping in mind that uh, we're looking at uh, 13 games last year versus 12, but still uh, Arizona State in 2017 uh, gave up uh, 32.8 points a game, uh, 25.1 uh, this year. Uh, when you look at rushing yards, uh, over 2,300 last year, ni- uh, 1,957 uh, this year. Passing yardage this year, uh, 2,864. <laughs> last year, 3,500. Th- th- uh, yeah, 3,535 uh, passing yards. Uh, this is uh, definitely a defense uh, that, uh, to use the old cliche, did bend but not break. And I know Dan Gonzalez hates that, again, like you said, because he sets such a, such a high standard but it's just refreshing to see a defense that can go out there as we mentioned earlier just give you a chance every Saturday to win the game and a lot of those close losses fairly or not you're really looking at the offense as being the culprit of it rather than the defense again when you give up an average of three and a half points uh, in the fourth quarter uh, there's not much else you can ask your, de- ask your defense to do on this uh, is it just really um, only natural to think that this defense should only get better because it had um, the growing pains in the new scheme that, that should not be there next year? Obviously, so many young and in- inexperienced players that uh, are going to benefit so much uh, f- from playing the system this year. Uh, is it really fair to think that uh, maybe Arizona State next year, dare I say, be a more defensive defensive-minded team like a Utah, for example, who, after all, won the Pac-12 South for the first time this year? I would, if I'm, if I'm an Arizona State fan, I'll tell you that this is what you should expect. You should expect similar results. Not a huge improvement. You don't want to see regression, but you have to understand there are 13 games on film, and there are five or six games on film with a lot of these freshmen uh, who are playing for the first time. So you you have to understand that people get paid a lot of money to figure out what it is that Arizona State's doing defensively. You saw it under Todd Graham and Keith yeah. Patterson that when people figured out what was going on, that created quite a few issues for Arizona State's defense, and they ultimately weren't able to 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 really make the necessary adjustments. Um, you know, when Phil Bennett came in, there was some improvement, but he was still of the mindset that you sell out uh, and blitz all the time and he, he what was it he always said someone's band's gonna, gonna play, play right <laughs> someone's band's gonna play either you're gonna sack the quarterback or they're gonna throw the ball over your head so Danny Gonzalez has a lot more faith in in the defensive backfield and what they're able to accomplish and and making sure that he tries to set them up for success you do not see a whole lot of safety blitzing in even with an extra defensive back you don't see a whole lot of safety blitzing in this Danny Gonzalez run defense you did see quite a bit 
of uh, whether it was Laiu Mokiola or you know several other players um, trying to get into the defensive backfield. You know the tackles for loss you saw from defensive backs this year are because they ran to the ball in mm-hmm. running plays to the outside or on swing passes. And so um, to let the defensive backs be defensive backs seems to be what Danny Gonzalez wants to do. And I think that as all of these other coaches were paid a lot of money to figure this out, to develop counter strategies, um, I think that that could negate the physical maturation of this defense as well as the level of experience. So I think the right thing to do would say, all right, well, what can Arizona State do to take a step forward offensively? Because if they keep it up, allowing only 25 points a game, you know, what can they do to turn around and score 35 and, and ultimately uh, turn a 7-5 turn a and five year into 10-2? and two? Uh, and, and I think that's really the task for them is for the, the defense needs to hold the wall, right? And, and the offense needs to take that step forward. And when you talk about the, the defense uh, being, I don't want to say conservative, but like you said, not really selling out that much, uh, just a minimal risk, minimal gain, if you will, approach. You look at the number of sacks, uh, 29 sacks uh, this year compared to uh, 37 last year. I mean, that's maybe, on the surface, a little surprising. But again, like you said, uh, Phil Bennett wasn't uh, all uh, reckless, for lack of a better term, like Todd Graham, but you know, still had some of that uh, m- mentality uh, to, to be uber-aggressive. And again, paid off somewhat. We saw it proved from 16 to 17. But uh, in 2018, even though the sack numbers went down, when you look at points going down, you look at when you look at uh, rushing and passing yards uh, going down, then uh, you're you're definitely doing something right. Uh, when you look at uh, when you look at tackles uh, for loss, um, Arizona State uh, I believe had uh, looks like is it is it 81? Yeah, it looks like 81 yeah. tackles for loss. Yeah, I mean, 81 81 tackles for loss. And uh, when you look uh, over here this year, uh, 86. So you know, a l- little, little, little of improvement. So uh, I think the efficiency uh, was was still there. Uh, when it when it comes to uh, when it, when it comes to the Arizona State defense, uh, do you feel that just for the long run, are they more equipped? You believe to be just a more of a run run stopping unit, or is this really a unit that uh, can uh, be? task with the inevitable uh, task of uh, really trying to stop very potent uh, passing attacks uh, in the Pac-12. I think that this defense is designed to create havoc for passing attacks, and I think that you can neutralize it in one of two ways. Uh, And having the guts to run right at it over and over and over again until you start to find breakages here and there, which is what University of Arizona was able to successfully do in the third quarter yesterday. and then uh, athletic quarterbacks, which, you know, Arizona State struggled against. Uh, University of Arizona just based on Khalil Tate's skill and ability to, to, to get away from the pass rush. But if you're not the best athlete and you don't have the guts to push through in the, in, in the running game to set yourself up for three three and outs in a row so that that fourth drive, you know where the weaknesses are and you can try to exploit them. If you don't have the stomach for that, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So you need really special athletes. Um, you know, whereas it was always a guarantee that special athletes were going to have special days against the Keith Patterson, Todd Graham coach defense. Um, it's not a guarantee that those types of players will have a big day against the Danny Gonzalez coach defense. It's just that they'll have to work harder to even get to their mm-hmm. get to their average. So I think that this defense is 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 about creating chaos 
making making throwing the ball a very disdainful, distasteful thing. Um, and then this defense is also about really anticipating situationally what it is the defense is going to do because ASU was so ready for all of the teams that tried to pump the brakes mm-hmm. and, and get into a ball control offense. I mean, they just absolutely embarrassed both Oregon and and University of Arizona in the second half when those teams felt like they had enough of a lead to relax. Can't relax. <laughs> you cannot relax against this defense. They keep coming. And so um, I, I, I don't know. I think they're set up to be better against the pass ultimately than they are against the run. But if the offense can give them that assist to make sure that the defense has to pass, this is going to be a very successful defense. Okay, so uh, as we start wrapping up uh, this podcast, uh, a regular season summary of the Sun Devils, we obviously look look to the future after talking about the present, and let's uh, delve into this and discuss three things that uh, do concern you about the Sun Devils uh, for the for the twenty nineteen season. Well, um, I would say obviously quarterback is probably the most most evident one. Um, will Dylan Sterling Cole show them enough? For them to say like, "Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna act as if you are going to be the guy," um, and it's up to you to, um, to really, you know, meet those expectations that we set for you, uh, because that would probably be the best thing for the team is to have someone to follow, and maybe Dylan Sterling Cole responds to that elevated level of responsibility they put on him. You know, I think he's going to be in a situation where it'll be his fourth year in school. He doesn't have a whole lot of excuses. We know he has all the arm talent in the world. Um, if Ryan Kelly ends up being healthy, they got to take a look at what he has to offer because he was a special, special player in high school, but it's been, it's, it's been a solid two years since he has been, including the end of his senior season of, of high school. So, uh, and then, you know, you got, uh, you know, if they end up getting letters of intent from Joey Yellen and, and, and Ethan Long, you know, with, with Ethan Long, you're going to get somebody who, threw the ball a lot more than most people at the at the high school level. You know, he's had a ton of reps, and he also gives you that dual threat ability. Mm-hmm. And if you're confident that he can make at least the throws that you need him to make, also he can make some plays with his legs, and he's big, physically strong, and able to handle Pac-12 play, great. Um, and then Joey Yellen is one of the smartest guys I've ever been around. He really has a very good arm, and he can make the throws that you need him to. Um, but you're going to need to be able to create a pocket for him because the guy's got Andrew Walter-level cement feet. So <laughs> quarterback, to me, is big concern number one. Concern number two, and I think it's fair to have this concern, it has to do with staffing because for four years in a row, a bunch of coaches have left. Whereas it would maybe not make sense for coaches to leave off this Arizona State staff, Um or for maybe Arizona State to actually make some changes of their own. Um, I think that that's something that based on recent history, you have to come to expect, especially if jobs are going to be opening up all over the place the way they have. You know, some guys have Texas connections. Some guys maybe have Colorado connections. Some guys maybe want to go to northern Arizona, you Mm -hmm. know, and have, uh, you know, elevated opportunities. And so we'll see how some of that goes. Um, I do expect the staff to potentially look a little bit different next year than it does this year. But then you start the process of really having to gel all over again. So, are, you know, are they going to be able to do that? Does Herm Edwards feel like he has his feet enough to maybe 
go out and look for some guys that might be an improvement to treat his coaching staff the same way that he treats the players to say, hey, it's nothing personal, but we're going to move on and look for guys that we think fit our DNA. Because uh, now that they've established what that is, it's really up to it, Herm Edwards is the manager of these people, and it's up to him to find the people that are going to best position him to win. So staffing would be uh, my second concern. My third concern heading into next year is whether this 7-5 season under Herm Edwards with the Territorial Cup victory is enough to at least um, stem the tide of sweeping apathy, multifactorial apathy that is coming over an Arizona State fan base so that the game day experiences that boosters came together to spend $400 million on enhancing doesn't necessarily go to waste because there are people who, you know, being able to access these games at home helps people keep up with what's going on so that they ultimately want to be at the game. So not being able to see it on TV makes it less likely that you're going to go see it in person. The way that the, the schedule is set up and the way that there are so many other things to do and so many family priorities that people have um, put people in a situation where they might not want to be at these games and around this team. And I think that I think that the third rail offense, defense, and environment, uh, you know, I think environment needs to take a step forward. And I'm not sure that what they did this year will be enough for them to have that take place because I think you know that they were um, they averaged under fifty thousand fans I think this year for maybe like the third time ever mm. uh, and it's just continues to drop year after year. Um, it's a beautiful stadium. Just come mm. out, watch these games. You know, enjoy it. You can get a you can multitask now. You can be on your phone and watch the game <laughs> at the same time. You might as well come out. Uh, but, you know, the, those those are the things I worry about. I worry about staffing. I worry about the game day environment. I worry about the quarterback position. Yeah, w- without repeating what you said, because excellent points, uh, each and every one of them, and especially the, the attendance. I mean, not not to go on a tangent on that one, but for fo- the fans that didn't get to see Nikhil Harry play in his last year at Arizona State or didn't experience him as often as they probably should, not to see Eno Benjamin is going to go down we already know as right. Don't you're going <laughs> to regret it. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Benjamin. I mean, what what a, probably the best running back in Arizona State history. Uh, when when everything's said and done, uh, just to miss out on those, those are unfortunate. Uh, my three concerns. Um, I would say, uh, speaking of running back, how much can ASU stick to that model with you know Benjamin being the so-called workhorse of, of this offense? I mean, is this is this approach? going to work uh, next next year as well. Uh, you know, Benjamin, if I'm not mistaken, just yesterday in the Teltero Cup, did actually uh, break the single season uh, um, record for carries. And, okay, I mean, he his, his, his body held up, uh, even though he had a lot of injuries uh, preceding his sophomore year. Uh, what's what's going to happen uh, in, in his junior year in 2019? Uh, can you really just keep keep that approach? I mean, is it imperative that you d- d- develop... Uh, A.J. Carter even that much, that Isaiah Floyd becomes uh, that, that much more part of the offense. Uh, the departures of a Traylon Smith and Brock Sturges, I mean, each each one had their own circumstances, and knowing what I know about each, I can't fault for Arizona State. They're still painful, though. Yeah, they're, they're, they're still painful. Those anyway. are good players. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, people people are sick of hearing uh, the old cliche, can, can never have enough running backs, but it's true, and I think it's even truer at Arizona State, for some reason, probably more than other schools. So now does power, I'm completely open to Connor Soley coming in and <laughs> yeah. and potentially playing that position instead of in, instead of safety because if they're not honed in on a running back yeah. yet in this recruiting class, if something happens to Eno, 
Yeah. You might change my mind on what I'm worried about. Because, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't ta- see him taking a step forward, not with a freshman quarterback, key on him every time. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you bring up an excellent point, uh, which, like you said, the passing game is really going to come into question. No more Manny Wilkins, no more Nikhil Harry. Uh, again, not to harp on what I said earlier about being the Utah model, you know, strong defense, strong running game, but it worked for Utah, okay? It worked for Stanford and USC, for that matter, in years past. It, it can work for Arizona State, and maybe Arizona State finds stuff in a situation where they have to force it to work that way because how much can you expect a true freshman quarterback? JT Daniels, USC. Georgia still went 5-7, and seven, and that guy is, is talented as heck. I, I feel that his sophomore and junior year, I mean, the Pac-12 will, will feel the wrath of JT Daniels. But, uh, you know, freshman quarterback is a freshman quarterback, and Pac-12 is not an easy environment to succeed in that position in that age. So uh, that's one thing I'm concerned about. It's just, uh, like you said, life after Eno Benjamin, more in terms of who's going to be the backup. Are you going to continue that model where he's getting 25, 30 carries a game? That's one thing. Uh, second thing uh, that concerns me is um, is a wide is a wide receiver. Uh, also, from the aspect of you're losing Nikhil Harry, Kyle Williams, as we mentioned, took a giant step back from 2017. Can he just flip the switch in 2019? Have a schematic change that's more conducive to his talents, like you mentioned earlier, so he can be the go-to guy. If nothing else, be the Jalen Harvey of 2019. That uh, 80% of his uh, receptions are going to be first downs. If that's if that's his role on the team, uh, great. I mean, Frank Darby, can, can he can, can he take the next step uh, back and be a more reliable downfield threat? And, and Brandon Ayuk, I had a career game against Arizona yesterday. I, I'm I'm really really excited uh, about that player. Uh, can, can he really be that that go-to guy, that playmaker in the passing game? But again, it comes back to also the issue of a brand new quarterback. Will a brand new quarterback, whether it's Dylan Sterling Cole, Joey Allen, Ethan Long. Ryan Kelly, whoever it may be, is that really going to hold back the passing game anyway where you might have a situation where all these wide receivers made tremendous strides from 2018 to 2019, but you have a brand new quarterback that is just holding back the passing game from really succeeding, from really having that balanced offense. That's something that uh, I, I feel is definitely um, a valid concern. And uh, my last concern, um, I would say, uh, would really would really be actually be on defense on, on, on the front line. Um, I feel that Arizona State is set a linebacker. Merlin Robinson, Darren Butler, Tyler Johnson, that is a starting three that you will gladly take to battle um, every Saturday. I feel um, in the backfield, you still have, you still have cornerbacks, uh, Kobe Williams and Chase Lucas. You still have Ashari Croswell at safety, making tremendous strides uh, from last year. Cam Phillips, uh, a true freshman uh, safety with Danny Gonzalez, a defensive coordinator, did admit that he may have regrets for not playing him more. Now you're trying to preserve the four-game Richard, Richard Rule for Cam Phillips. Uh, Evan Fields, I think, has a lot of uh, upside um, at that Tillman safety. And don't forget, there's a good chance you're going to get Tyler Wiley uh, back uh, if he does win that NCAA uh, uh, six-year uh, eligibility appeal. And Tyler Wiley, as we all know, in preseason camp, was the best Tillman safety on the team. A lot to get excited about the back seven, but, uh, about, but, but about, the front, um, about the front three, uh, th- that's a, that's really where um, you know you might have some concerns. You're losing Ronell Wren. Uh, you know who, who's going to be your nose tackle that's really going to anchor uh, that line. Uh, Jermaine Lole. I mean, there's definitely a lot to, a lot to be excited about him. You just hope the sophomore slump uh, doesn't uh, doesn't hit hit him hard. 
Shannon Foreman, George Lee. I mean, sure they they they, they showed uh, you know some flashes uh, here and there, but now when the onus is more on them because there's not a Riddell Rand over there on the line, uh, how, do, how does it all, all come together? Um, this defensive line definitely did a, a formidable job. I feel uh, with you know tackles to loss, sacks, uh, stopping the run, but uh, can they take that next step when you have somewhat less proven players uh, playing up there? And how much does that defensive line need to rely on a really good recruiting class uh, and a coaching staff that's obviously not afraid to play a freshman? Uh, can they um, really, uh, really, uh, I'm not going to say turn around the defensive line, but just keep it, if nothing else, uh, on, on a good uh, continuity trajectory from uh, 2018 to 2019? I think that's one concern that maybe does, doesn't jump out at people as obvious quarterback, running back, wide receivers, which are all valid concerns. But I feel defensive line now. Uh, that's one unit on a really good defense that uh, I, I personally have a lot of question marks for 2019. They were starting to fall in love with DJ Davidson before he before he got exactly. himself hurt as well. And they'll have the benefit of him being like a 22-year-old sophomore next year. So if 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 they, if he can be an every-down guy, then maybe you can hold the fort to bring in one more recruiting class. So just like the uh, 2018 regular season ended on a positive note, uh, let's end this podcast on a positive note. And obviously there's a lot of positives uh, to discuss about this year, and we we have discussed them uh, definitely at length. But uh, when you look about things, Ralph, that excite you about uh, the 2019 season, uh, what are the uh, top three uh, items in your mind? Uh, there, you, uh, there's a couple of guys coming that will be coming back off injury. I just mentioned, you know, uh, if w- if and when DJ Davidson can get healthy, uh, John Humphrey, um, mm-hmm. you know, Tyler Wiley, if he if he's able to come back, there were some guys that showed some promise, um, and that also will be on the older side and have some leadership ability. You're going to need some maturity when you're probably going to be a little bit younger at the quarterback position and definitely young on defense. Um, so uh, I, I would say that get, you know getting some of those people back is something um, that, that I'm excited to see. I'm one of the things I'm really excited for is to see um, you know uh, Al Luganbilla had said that the 2019 recruiting class was going to be one that was kind of pedestrian that they were going to be playing from behind on. But with some of the changes that were made and some of the changes that were not made, uh, we might see some players that are looking for a promising place where young players can come in and play and Arizona state's going to maybe end up with more high quality recruits that want to come to Tempe than they actually have spots to give. And who would have thought that that would be the case. So I'm really interested to see both the recruits that they have, the recruits that they sort of put on layaway through the gray shirt system, hoping that it, that ultimately works out for them. Um, and then the, and then the, the young players that maybe didn't get a chance to play uh, this year, like Stanley Lambert and guys like that, Really, really excited to see the new crop come in as the um, as the recruiting picks up, and then I would say that um, because of the amount of heat that he kind of took this year, and the fact that it'll be his fourth year on campus, and he'll be alone, you know, yeah, I think with Byron Murphy and Nikhil Harry <laughs> both going to the NFL, um, I'm really interested to see if Chase Lucas can make that step forward, um, be a little bit less internally focused and 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 try to get that C on his jersey and be dependable. Um, you know, not be somebody that Rob Likens has to come out of the locker room to drag him off of dancing on the A 20 minutes after the University of, you know, Arizona game ends um, and, and somebody that they can get focused up because I think that he is beyond exceeded my expectations for what he'd be able to accomplish as a defensive back. Two full years as a starter, um, 
is a great playmaker. You know, I think that if they could go into next season with, with you know, three of those guys that walk out with a C on their on their jersey, you know, being like Merlin, Kobe, and and Chase, you know, that that really show that the defense the defense is going to be what takes control and. Um, and, and, and while you have, you know, some really confident personalities that they're not going to be too flashy or get themselves in trouble, uh, if, if Kobe could take a, a page out of Merlin's book or, or, or um, if Chase could take a page out of Kobe's book or Merlin Robert, Robertson's book uh, and, and, and learn to, you know, tone down that awesome – it's awesome. It's a fun personality if you've ever been around. Like, you learn to tone down that awesome personality and really focus it on on taking that next step forward to, to experience maybe some January bowl game success next year. Um, I think that, you know, it, it would really, really set him up for the future, show some NFL scouts what what he's able to do because he, you know, he he's taken a lot of heat this year. Um and I think that uh, I think that he's learning to take it in stride, but I think there's still a couple of maturity issues there that that need to get resolved before he can be truly great. Because to be truly different than everybody else, you got to be different. And so he's going to have to make some changes to take that next step forward. I'm excited to see if he'll actually do that. Yeah, three things that excite me. Um, I would start with the new leadership model. Um, I think it definitely showed uh, some promising signs in in its first years. Uh, I'm not not here to proclaim that it's the uh, best things that happened to Arizona State uh, ever in the program history, but I just feel that the um, tone that uh, Hermedris has set with his with his personality, with the way he runs things, uh, and obviously that goes hand in hand with the vision of Ray Anderson, who made a very controversial decision uh, that that's been discussed at nauseum at this point. So we're not going to nitpick that again, but. But I think uh, Ray Anderson has to be happy with how things have been progressing. And like you mentioned, Al, Al Loganville, when it comes to recruiting, and now uh, Antonio Pierce, uh, a couple months ago, was named director of recruiting, you definitely feel that the structure of this program is really going in the right direction. Uh, just when you look at the, uh, at the day-to-day operations and how Herm Edwards conducts himself, which I feel creates a very attractive environment both to retain players and, more importantly, retain assistant coaches. I mean, just since yesterday, I had two, two, three different people hitting me up saying, wow, we're going to be able to keep Danny Gonzalez. We're going to be able to keep Antonio Pierce right. and guys like that. And and I and I tell those guys, look, I mean, nobody knows college football when it comes to coaching moves. It's so unpredictable. But don't forget, Herm Edwards, first and foremost, gave Danny Gonzalez his first true defensive coordinator position. He gave Antonio Pierce his first collegiate assistant coach position. And if you're a good guy to work with and you're seeing success also on the field, why should you be itching to leave Arizona State? I just think that is such a departure from what we saw with Todd Graham, who just, something that I mentioned in a lot of different podcasts, including this one probably, just never knew how to pick his battles. And that really just got under the skin uh, of assistant coaches and, and probably drove away some, some talented players that um, may, may have had success uh, over here at Arizona State. So I just feel that that um, team culture um, has definitely changed um, has definitely changed for the better and something that is going to be very, very attractive uh, to recruits. I mean, look, it's great that you have the, the shiny new facilities and you have some success on the field. That always helps. But also just the uh, persona that Herm Edwards and his entire staff uh, project and how that propagates uh, to the players. I think uh, that's something that can uh, really, really help. 
Uh, second thing that excites me is, is, is about is this defense. Um, I've said I've said earlier, you're you're so impressed by how these young players played. Just wait until those young pups know what the hell they're doing right now, because even guys like Merle Robinson, Darren Butler, I don't think have scratched the surface uh, in terms of what they can be as, as collegiate players. Oh, and uh, no offense to Tyler Johnson, but I yeah, he even he told me after the game yesterday, I was like, hey, you got that fumble? He's like, I'm gonna get yelled at for so many things when we get back. <laughs> that was the first thing he said. <laughs> He, he wasn't even like, hey, yeah. we won. It was like, oh, I'm going to get my ass chewed. <laughs> so, like, he even, like, they're, they're, you're right. A lot of these guys have a long way to go. Exactly. It's, it's half such a demanding coach like Danny Gonzalez who, who told us from day one, stop writing good things about this defense. I mean, they played phenomenal against Michigan State, but, I mean, absolutely won the game for the Sun Devils. First thing Gonzalez says, you know, in the media session, Stop saying nice things about this defense. You know, you're going to write a lot, of, a lot of nice things about this group. Stop doing it. Okay, they still have a lot to improve on. So just I feel, I feel that overall atmosphere uh, in the defense having such a talented and demanding defensive coordinator, which, like I said earlier, Ralph, hits all the right buttons, especially with the young players. I mean, you just feel this great snowball effect moving in such a positive direction for this side of the ball. I mean, wow, you just compare 2015 and 16, it's almost like you're watching two programs from two different ends of the globe. I mean, it's just just really, really encouraging uh, to see. And um, maybe maybe just going back, uh, you know, to the first one we talked about uh, in this podcast is Herm Edwards. Uh, he really had nowhere to go but up with all the criticism he received from pundits from coast to coast, from a Pac-12 media uh group at large that picked ASU to finish last in the South. And for him to defy so many of those gloom and doom expectations in year one, uh, that's something that really excites me because I feel that what he has, I don't know if built is too strong of a term, but what I guess maybe established here very early on is just a foundation, is a, is a building block that can really, really be sustainable and just take this program to, you know, to, to new levels. And I'm not saying contend for a Rose Bowl year in and year out, but I just don't think you'll see the dips and valleys that we saw from Dirk Cutter, from Dennis Erickson, from Todd Graham. I just feel that what you see right now in the 7-5, and five, that just really might be the floor that you might see for the next, the next three, four years. Again, I'm not saying you're going to see double-digit wins every year either, but I just feel that the peaks and valleys uh, when it comes to the overall record are going to be less steep. And that's something I think... Resemble the coach's personality. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, Hormetra says even kill, so uh, there might be just an even kill uh, record, even kill measure of success uh, for for the Sun Devil program. I I think that uh, what you saw in your run, year one is really, really encouraging. Like you said, I'm expecting a lot of key assistants on both sides of the ball to be back a lot of key players on both sides of the ball to be back I, I feel this recruiting class can really open a lot of eyes and infuse that much more talent on, on both sides of the ball I think there's a, just a lot of things that are going positive in the right direction but again it's encouraging just to have a head coach that I feel that can not only sustain the success but also improve upon that success and again um, that new leadership model was ridiculed 10,000 different ways and I just feel that Herm Edwards is able to establish uh, that type of leadership that in, in the program and I think it really has been effective uh, again for all the positive um, 
aspects that we talked about in this podcast. I, I think that uh, right now things are moving in the right direction. Again, you can look at 7-5 and five last year, 7-5 and five this year at the end of the regular season, but I think it's almost impossible uh, not to see a different uh, trajectory uh, for the program from 2017 to 2018. So that brings this episode of the Devil's Junkie podcast to a close where we recap the very interesting, very strange 2018 Arizona State University football season. Hold, why don't you let them know what uh, they're missing out on if they're not subscribed to DevilsDigest.com? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when we talk about uh, recruiting, we're talking about obviously an early signing period, uh, which uh, definitely uh, takes the month of December to new heights when it comes to recruiting activity. Uh, December 19th, uh, that is the uh, first day of the signing period, and that date is really uh, much closer than, than, than you think it will be. So uh, we're going to talk uh, a lot about all the possibilities that exist uh, for the Sun Devils infusing uh, new talent uh, for, for the 2019 uh, team. And uh, we will uh, keep you up to date uh, with all the uh, happenings uh, in that aspect uh, for the Sun Devils. Obviously, there's a bowl game to prepare. Uh, at the time that we're recording this podcast, we don't know which bowl uh, it's going to be, but uh, once uh, we do know, we'll be out there uh, as the Sun Devils prepare uh, in, in, in their bowl practices and uh, see um, how uh, they are going to uh, match up uh, with whatever opponent uh, it's going to be. So those are some of the things uh, to look out for. And uh, we really um, can't uh, forget about ASU basketball, which uh, at the time of this podcast is not ranked, but I think uh, in 24 hours just might be ranked after a, a good start to the season. Uh, capturing a, uh, a tournament championship, the MGM main event uh, in Las Vegas uh, last week. Uh, some uh, really um, important games uh, coming up for them uh, in, in December, so we're definitely going to keep uh, tabs on, on that uh, Sun Devil program. So uh, just make sure uh, you subscribe to uh, devilsdigest.com uh, uh, to get uh, all your fix for uh, Sun Devil uh, Sports, and uh, we're also going to have some uh, network subscription uh, specials uh, starting to run uh, this week, so make sure you keep an eye on those too. All right, for Hodorbino, I am Ralph Amson. Let's hit the music. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. All my friends were vampires. Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself in Devil Town Devil Town